Carter. GM, GM, GM. How are you doing, Red? Oh, it, dude, it's a beautiful day. I got s- such good sleep last night. I've got way too much energy right now. So <laughs> you might have you might have to carry. You might have to carry. It's been a busy, busy two weeks over here at the office. Really, I've been pushing the pace. So I'm counting on you to carry the energy today for me. <laughs> oh, dude, I've I've got more energy than. I, I could possibly burn through. So it's, yeah. it's bleeding. It's bleeding through the the screen. I can I can hear it. <laughs> uh, so I I saw that video you put out on uh, on Twitter recently. What was it yes. that that spurred that? Like I mean I know from our perspective this is like the stuff that just like is constantly ringing in our ears. But was there something that happened recently that uh, had you particularly moved? Well, you know it's interesting because you remember the last Twitter space where I was in super doomer mode. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. then literally like a week later this came out I, it, I was just like the thing that got me was the kyc aml for node runners wallets it's like it's so aggressive it's a kill shot like if it if it passed as a bill so i felt like an ethical duty to stand up and be like hey guys we're not crazy all of us builders all of us people that are building this technology like we're protecting individual rights, individual sovereignty. Um, and we should be proud of that. We, we shouldn't feel like we need to hide in the corner. We shouldn't feel intimidated. We should, you know, use our voice, unite together and, and spread the word that um, people are trying to take our individual freedoms away. So I, I was just, I, I, when I opened up the Elizabeth Warren bill, I was just livid, man. I, I haven't felt that much anger in a long time because most of, most of the oppression today i feel like happens quietly kind of like sec goes after someone but then there's there at least there's like a a court case uh and there's 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 a a debate there and a process but a bill a bill is a whole different beast right and to see that there's this many co-signers and there's people coalescing around it's like ooh, this is this is the war has actually kind of begun um and that's that's scary but also that's what we live for like I, I firmly believe that this technology that we're building is subversive in favor of individual liberties. And so, you know, I thought maybe we'd have more time. I thought maybe we'd have a year and a half to two years of being off the radar of, of letting DeFi and crypto continue to thrive within the gray area. But it seems like they're starting to make moves. So we have to brace ourselves and prepare accordingly. Kind of related to that. Did you see the recent announcements about the formalization of the UPA or University Universal Privacy Alliance? Uh, I have not. No. What what happened there? It, I think it was just uh, like a formal statement. Like it, this has become a formal entity. Um, and I was just reading <clears throat> reading through one of the the press releases for it. It's basically like. They named a few different protocols that are uh, bigger supporters of this. I know Secret Network is part of the the UPA, but they named NIM, uh, Protocol Labs, Filecoin, Foundation, Oasis, Aztec. Um, yeah, you know there are definitely other groups, um, but basically group to protect digital privacy is a fundamental human right. Um, advocating for privacy by design technologies and influencing policy decisions. So that just like felt like an interesting timing for the formal announcement that's like, all right, now you have one of the, you know, most powerful governments in the world going after, uh, effectively going after individual uh, liberties. And then you also have this effectively global group comprised of some of the largest uh, 
technological innovators, um, you know, in regards to privacy technology, basically saying, we're going to be out here advocating for these private uh, privacy by design technologies and, and helping influence policy decision, uh, which is really cool. I know we had talked about this in like a while back. It feels like it was almost a year ago that we were initially talking about this, like before it even materialized as like a semi-formal idea. Yeah, UPA. I, I mean, I think I've said this before, but I was the one that created the original group chat. It was actually a, a New York privacy focused event. And I approached the founders in the backstage afterwards and said, why the heck are privacy projects not teaming up? Like we have all these incredible minds. Like what, what, why do we not at least like coalesce in, in a place in a chat room and, and see where we can go with this? So <laughs> I actually spun up the UPA and actually dubbed the the name as well, the Universal Privacy Alliance. That was actually my naming. So it's kind of it's kind of fun to have seen it like grow so far away from me that it's its own entity and story. But it's fun to have been there at its origin point, and hopefully, it can cause a real impact on Capitol Hill and and throughout the whole world. It's great to hear. Nice. So you've got the title of CEO of the Cosmos and CEO of the UPA now. So I mean, I don't really contribute to the UK, so I don't, I don't think it's fair to claim that title. But we'll we'll say I was I was there in the room when the UPA started. It's probably the best way to describe it. Well, I know they said there. Uh, I, I was reading through this, um, you know, the press release, and they're talking about they're initially going to be focusing on like EU electronic identification, authentication uh, regulation, digital services act. Uh, like challenging end -end encryption, but I said they're going to be hosting some events, uh, I believe at ETH Denver. And uh, that'd be super cool to be able to re-sync with these guys at ETH Denver. Which speaking of which, we should probably reach out to them to see if we can attend that event and actually be part of some of those panels. Because last year we were in attendance, but not necessarily like a direct participant. So it'd be very fun to see if we can get more involved there. Yep, totally agreed. All right, so uh, we can actually start talking about some uh, some shade stuff. Uh, so today, obviously, the uh, anyone looking at the title of this space talking about API v two. So this new API that we're going to be rolling out on testnet and uh, eventually on mainnet. Talking about the rollout of analytics and uh, some other stuff that we've got cooking in the background. Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, when people think about analytics, they often think about, um, you know, this is just a way for uh, a user to understand some sort of story uh, with data, right? Um, And when you think about analytics for a product like Shade Protocol, um, you can kind of approach or like as a protocol designer or contributor, we can kind of approach this in a few different ways, right? There are things that we want to provide for individual D apps. It's like people are getting um, really solid data on the usage and financial opportunities available with these different applications and how that um, those opportunities have looked uh, historically. But then you also have this uh, story that you want to tell with analytics relating to the overall protocol. Um, you know, if you're talking about an individual application, like let's say an app chain, um, where you have one product, right? Your analytics are going to be specifically focused on this one product. Um, but for a suite of products like shade protocol, we're also interested in telling this overall story, right? It's not just the performance of one of our applications that tells the full story of shade protocol. Uh, we have all of these other applications that are generating revenue that are, um, you know, bringing in new users um, and being able to see how these individual apps contribute to the whole is going to be, you know, a really important part of uh, telling the story of Shade Protocol. Um, So I think just like one one thing we can kind of dig into uh, a little bit here is, you know, as we move closer to having uh, governance live with the integration of DowDow contracts, I know we've had a lot of people request this, and I know this is something that uh, we have, you know, internally talked about wanting to provide, um, which is better analytics about uh, the Dow Treasury. You know, so what are the what are the holdings of the Treasury? What 
DeFi positions, if any, does the treasury hold? And, you know, this would include any sort of protocol owned liquidity that they have, any liquidity that the DAO has seeded into pools, um, you know, all of the shade that has been clawed back into the treasury, being able to see, you know, full shade allocation, um, being able to monitor earning potential for the DAO um, and for shade holders, like being able to look at total fees collected, total shade bought back. Um, and so, you know, from I would say from uh, the contributor's perspective, you know, we we probably have a little bit better of an idea about, you know, the the relative performance and, um, you know, the the assets that the, the protocol um, is holding. But when you think about the integration of uh, DAO contracts and being able to have uh, signaling proposals and spending proposals uh, live, Carter, what, you know, how much do you think analytics is going to really be able to help um, people, you know, participating in governance, be able to uh, participate in a more meaningful, in a more meaningful fashion? If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we we've always said, you know, privacy for individuals, um, transparency for public goods, and I think having analytics tied to the protocol is going to help just build that trust because right now it's kind of by proxy through the core contributors and that is of course less than ideal because people people can and will fail you um but if we can get the transparency for the protocol in a much stronger place with analytics and be able to tell that story uh, i think that's just a net positive for for every single community member involved and it also takes a lot of the weight off of the the core team as well when we can have these stories be passively told in the form of uh, of charts right so it, huge huge progress on the trust side once we get that out um and also i think like the usability goes up too because people people want to make informed decisions and right now we we've given ourselves like a, a d minus um once i get Sorry, sorry about that. I had a sneeze. Uh, we've given ourselves like a D minus, I would say, on the having the data available for people to make informed decisions. Um, so we have a long ways to go. Things like candlestick charts um, for pricing. Wow, I've just decided to sneeze a bunch of times. <laughs> That's so random. Um, things like candlestick charts tied to the trading experience, we, we kind of lack that. And that's a huge deal for folks to, to see historical trends and, and, and to want to make a decision. Um, from like a shade staking perspective, imagine having a chart that shows you the ever-changing, shifting shade staking APR because it changes every seven days, right? Um, having more data might make someone more inclined to, to stake. Uh, but right now, like they don't know what the historical APR looks like because we just don't have that in chart form. Um, same with like protocol fee accrual. We have this whole story of the meta engine, multiple applications coming, but how, where, where is that story portrayed? Like, sure, check the Discord buyback channel, right? It's like, no one's gonna do that. That's where there's probably like 10 people in the world that are actually doing that. So our 6,000 monthly active users are not being exposed to the beauty of Shape Protocol and all the fees that are being accrued. Um, portfolio page, the ability to individually track all of your positions in a cohesive, beautiful, and elegant fashion. Um, we don't have that. We, we've lacked that. We have a <laughs> very vanilla portfolio page. So um, our products, they're powerful. Our storytelling and our visuals with analytics, D minus. And with this new API, all the work that's been put in the last five months to finally get on testnet and be able to seamlessly add in services and charts like it's going to be so easy to to spin spin these things up because we've just focused on it we've essentially sat down and said all right assume we're going to be using this thing for the next five years how would you build this the right way and so we've prioritized abstraction and, and setting up really strong fundamentals as opposed to rushing something to production where every time we interact and add things, we would incur tech debt, right? So we've chosen the patient route. We've suffered kind of as a result of that. Um, but now the time is coming to get us from a, you know, a D minus to a, a B plus and, a, and eventually an A. Yeah, in relation to th thinking again about uh, Dow Treasury analytics, um, I think this is going to be super important. You mentioned staking um, because, you know, shade staking is different than... Uh, you know, staking a layer one asset, like the things that the thing that you're protecting uh, by staking shade is, is really the treasury for the most part. Yep. 
shade stakers are also going to be protecting effectively uh, the changing of parameters that can be managed by governance as well. But like the tangible thing that shade stakers are protecting is the protocol's treasury. So being able to understand what you're protecting, uh, you know, effectively is going to be really help again for, like you said, um, for users wanting to make more informed decisions. Another, another fun one we forgot to mention was like Silk's peg. There's the target peg versus the actual price of Silk. And so seeing those two lines kind of interact with each other, we haven't been able to tell that story yet. Um, it's essentially like, oh, go, in, go on CoinGecko, there's Silk's price, and then go back to the app and see what Silk's target peg is and try to visualize the gap. But even things like there are people that know about Silk, but they're like, I, I don't know how performant this thing is. I don't know how much I can trust it. And that's completely fair. And the onus is, is on us to you know, have the historical data tell the story that says, yes, you can trust this stable coin. Yeah, I keep, you know, when I think about analytics, the, the, the word that comes to my mind is like storytelling. Um, and, and in my opinion, the, the thing I'm most looking forward to is uh, the analytics for Silk um, because Silk is a growing and, and evolving financial tool uh, for, for multiple reasons. And being able to see how it grows, see how it adapts, um, being able to measure its resilience in the face of turbulent markets, uh, changing macroeconomic regulatory conditions, the ability to see its um, its stability mechanisms being tested and seeing the resilience there, you know, a lot of or really the entire story of Silk, um, or it's the the story of like its its utility and and it, the the quality of its. Um, of its value propositions is told through data is told through data. And, you know, from our perspective, I think it's our job to one, provide that raw data so that individuals can verify it themselves if they so wish to, but two, be able to distill that raw data into components that people can reliably use to read and understand the story of silk. Like you had mentioned, um, being able to track market price, uh, you know, against the peg price, being able to see like historically how far or how many times has this stablecoin depegged, you know, how well was the protocol or its market participants able to respond to these, uh, these sorts of risks. Um, you know, one of the, one of the other stories that I think is going to be really important and is this, um, for anyone who, who checks our forums often, like the story of operation touch and go. You know, how do we respond to risks associated with collateral over time, right? How are we weighing the risks of quicker adoption um, and, and growth of supply relative to some of the other risks like centralization risk, collateral liquidity risk? Um, you know, a lot of these stories are told through data and data visualization. Um, so that's something I'm personally really excited about. Another, another fun one with Silk is... Right now, we, we show Silk's performance pretty much solely against the U.S. dollar, but the beauty of Silk is that it is tracking an entire basket. So uh, I can't wait to see, oh, how is the euro performed against Silk? How is gold performed against Silk? How is Bitcoin performed against Silk? And seeing that on a chart, I'm picturing like checkboxes where you can just kind of like add and subtract lines. Maybe you can aggregate the lines together to be like, oh, how did Silk perform against gold plus the euro, right? Um, and really just like isolating uh, the peg in the basket so people can get the best possible conceptual understanding because the whole point of Silk is to be a global stable coin. And if you, if you only understand Silk within the, concept, the, within the context of the dollar, you're, you're missing the, the forest for the trees. Um, and, and so far we've unfortunately led our community to, um, like because we haven't provided that visualization, most people are kind of getting locked into that dollar mindset yet again, which is, which is somewhat fair. But um, Analytics V2 is really going to change the way we teach people about Silk's peg and its performance. Yeah, I mean, for, for those who are, uh, who are kind of data nerds, uh, I, I would kind of classify myself in this category. Um, I, I've gone back and done some historical analysis of silk versus its peg components. And, um, at least I think the last time I did this was maybe a week ago. 
Um, and silk was up at like a minimum of one and a half percent relative to all of its uh, peg components other than the commodities. Um, both gold and Bitcoin have uh, obviously outperformed silk, but that that's by design. Like silk is not meant to be a, a speculative asset. Um, so, and I think this is, you know, kind of talking about analytics and how we want to, uh, you know, monitor Silk's growth and how it performs over time, right? One of the, one of the key value propositions for Silk is that it's reflexive and that its peg components uh, can change. And being able to have the, have the data needed to analyze the, the Silk peg and its, uh, the relative performance of its components is going to be really important for, um, you know, making whenever it happens in the future, um, making those decisions about how the the peg could potentially change, like having the data to do that is going to be absolutely crucial. Yeah. And I, I've been so excited because every day that ticks by where silk is out in the wild is, is an extra day of trust that gets built out. So if you're operating with an extremely long time frame, when it comes to, to growth and telling the story, you want to do it the right way. You want to do it patiently. And, and if we believe in what silk is, then, then the data will also be on our side for that. Um, and if the data is not on our side, then we'll have to, you know, evolve silk's basket very, very carefully over time. Um, so it's going to be, I'm excited for 2024, 2025, 2026. Um, and every year that goes by, it's going to just reinforce that we've built something, um, really, secure, very stable, and extremely global. Yeah, similar to similar to the stories that we want to be able to tell with Silk, um, I think another product in general that we support uh, with a variety of our different applications that is going to be really important to understand um, from like a historical perspective is the, the performance of liquid staking derivatives and like the market dynamics surrounding those. Um, you know, being able to see historic market prices relative to uh, this increasing increasing redemption rate over time is is going to be really important for just traders in general um, to be able to determine like, okay, how much am I taking a haircut on on this trade if I'm uh, placing it now at its current market price relative to redemption rate? But also, um, one of the biggest things that comes to my mind is like uh, the activity of arbitrage bots and, and just uh, arbitragers in general, being able to make more informed decisions about like historical uh, deviations of uh, market price from redemption price, um, being able to calculate, uh, well, especially I, I think this even becomes even more of an important story to tell as inflation and staking yield changes dramatically for some of these assets. Like Right now, with Cosmos uh, changing their inflation schedule and they're effectively changing their uh, staking yield, that's a big deviation, right? And so you're going to expect a change in uh, reactivity from arbitragers uh, of liquid staking derivatives. And so being able to at least have some sort of indicator on these charts, like indicating, all right, you know, while staking yield was was at this range. Uh, this is the historical deviations that we've seen for uh, market price from redemption price. After this change, this is how the market has responded. Um, and I think that's going to be really valuable for, for all market participants. Um, something that we haven't really had to consider historically. I don't think there's been huge changes to inflation for any of the major Cosmos chains lately. Yeah, I think when we were talking yesterday, Asaf had mentioned like the last time Secret Network's inflation was changed was like back in 2020, like before secret contracts and yep. before dApps were, were around. So this is going to be really interesting, uh, you know, experiment and observation period uh, for dApp builders and and arbitragers at uh active users in the network completely agreed and especially with the asymmetric concentrated liquidity curve it's we already as a protocol suite we already have a very unique relationship to lsts so um providing the best in class data analytics for for the users and the arbors um is like is, is going to be pretty key so you had mentioned carter that you know we 
the analytics is probably one of the things that um, Shape Protocol has historically uh, uh, been lacking on. And as we're moving into 2023, we know we've got a few different major products on the production horizon. Um, and so I'm curious how you view improving site-wide analytics kind of in preparation for the onboarding of these new applications. Um, the way I kind of think of it is you're increasing, you're, you're raising the standard of your, uh, yeah, of your, uh, development environment and uh in your production environment but i'm curious like how do you view this this overhaul and introduction of um v2 of the api and overhauling analytics um in lieu of these new applications being onboarded and i guess new integrations happening in the future you know i mean i definitely think it's a the standard the bar gets raised right um i know every time we open up the site and like Austin, like it drives them crazy, you know, not having the, the analytics, like it's, it, it pains us, right? Like we, we, we have a really high standard internally. So when we're missing these tools, it's not like we, it's not like we're super non, um, nonchalant about it. Uh, it's like a really big deal. So, oh, one second. All right. That should go away now. There we go. Sorry. In the car, we just we just arrived at the office. Uh, me and Muhammad. It's, I'm gonna I'm gonna mute myself for thirty seconds, and I'll get back to you, Red. Yeah, not a problem. Just be safe. <laughs> Anytime I hear t people taking uh, like on Twitter Spaces while they're driving, I, I always get oh, we're, they're, we're, they're we're parked <laughs> and and Muhammad undid his seatbelt, and then the car started going crazy. And there was this awkward moment where we locked eyes, and I was like, hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, uh, we're about 30 minutes in. I do want to go ahead and ask if anyone has any questions or wants to come up and like has any requests for things that they'd uh, like to see in the app in the future, uh, whether that be like um, basic quality of life improvements for functionality or like if there's particular analytics that um, people want to see. I uh, would really love to hear feedback from you guys directly. I know see a few people in here who uh, know do some active trading and um, you know, people use a variety of different tools uh, for aggregating data. And so kind of curious, like what people would like to see, uh, if possible, aggregated into uh, the application. Obviously, um, you know, contributors are also users of their own protocol. And so there's things that uh, we as users of DeFi applications know would be quality of life improvements. Um, but always encouraged to hear what other people are interested in. Uh, seeing with their trading um, or within their uh, DeFi opportunities. Yeah, feel free to request, you guys. I guess now that I'm safely out of the car, just to reiterate, um, our standard internally is super high. And so the current state of things has frustrated us because we, we, we believe every single app that's launched should be at the highest possible standard. So um, I think from here on out, Launching without visual elements, launching without charts will probably be uh, probably be a no-go or, or less likely to, to ever happen again just because we now have the tools to do it. And if everything else in the app has analytics and then the new thing doesn't, it's going to stand out. So to maintain that consistency and integrity, um, it, it, it will be the standard here. Yeah. Yeah, one of the other things that I think about in relation to like API overhaul, backend overhaul of backend services, like this is also going to improve the quality of life for other developers who are looking to integrate with the Shade products. Um, like recently, we open sourced a uh, new um, SDK for interacting with the Shade applications called Shade.js. And seen a lot of activity on GitHub with uh, with developers interacting with that. Um, I think we're hoping, obviously, this is an anticipation of uh, future integrations or looking to, to integrate with the Shade Protocol apps. Um, probably right now, mostly uh, Shade Swap and Shade Lend, although we've seen some other integrations of, uh, of our products like staking derivative interfaces uh, with, other, with other user products. Um, you know, one of the things I think about is this, you know, the ability for people to query data from our applications, 
the ability for people to more easily interact with our applications as well. Um, whether it be from the user standpoint or from like another protocols uh, perspective, it's going to be a, it's going to increase the adoption rate uh, and the integration rate of other products utilizing the Shade D apps. Um, I know we've got a few different products we're talking with, a few different aggregators and um, other DeFi products that are interested in integrating ShadeSwap uh, as a trading venue, being able to um, provide different services to ShadeSwap users. And I can't help but think about um, that this new API and, and new backend services is going to make the, the lives of those looking to integrate with us um, that much easier. Um, you know, there's... I think there's been a lot of positive sentiment around uh, Shade Protocol contributors as like, you know, from the way that we prefer to interact with people and the way we prefer to uh, build each other up, you know, mutually as we integrate with people. But from the tech side, you know, there's been historically it's been a little bit harder, one, because of the privacy element, you know, integrating with Shade or integrating with Secret Network DApps is generally a little bit harder than integrating with, uh, you know, public by default applications. Um, but being able to provide, you know, better services for people to plug into is going to be, is going to help that, uh, that integration rate, in my opinion. Um, just because I, you know, I happen to be, uh, talking with a lot of these projects that are looking to integrate with shade protocol. And so um, that's something I'm also really, really excited about. So it's going to be, I mean, quality of life improved literally all around. Another another kind of 2024 roadmap um, item on the API side is, you know, we, there's really the API that helps the front end experience for users. Um, but then there's also kind of like the institutional side of things where larger existing platforms will want to start using Shape Protocol because of its front running resistance, because of its private trading strategies. Um, because of its private liquidation price points. Um, so part of this API project is setting us up to be able to also service larger existing platforms that are built um, on top of things like Ethereum um, that are sick of trading fees, sick of that lack of privacy. Um, and so I, I view kind of like a institutional adoption slash platform adoption of the Shade DeFi suite as something that we need to be slowly setting ourselves up for. It's not something that's going to happen tomorrow. It's not something that's necessarily going to happen in Q1. Um, but as we continue to mature the, the application, there's going to be demand from, from folks to you know, interact with an API endpoint um, to start interacting with Shade Protocol. They, they want that traditional kind of Web 2-esque experience in order to interact with Web 3. So that's, that's another kind of roadmap um, item in terms of driving a lot of usage to to shape protocol. So API is more than just oh things run fast and they run nicely, um, and it's easier for the developers. It's 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 also a, a path to, to more adoption too. Yeah, and you know as I'm I'm sitting here kind of thinking about this with a with a broader stroke here, I think that improved analytics also helps Shade Protocol further align with its like ethos and principles that set out uh from its inception where like we don't want users to have to go to other applications or other pages to be able to find the data uh, that they need or find the financial opportunities that they are seeking right like currently we shade protocol is is definitely uh, following through with its principles of like um, you know, no new application tokens, all of the applications are available seamlessly from this single user interface. Um, and I think from like building upon this principle of being able to provide all these opportunities um, in this seamless single user interface, the next logical step, at least from my perspective here, is being able to provide the analytics um, that are necessary. Like traditionally people utilize a whole swath of other um, other tools like you know Trading View, DeFi Llama, Dex Screener, like all these you know a huge variety of um, other tools to be able to provide these analytic services. And um, I think one of the biggest next steps for us uh, of improving this seamless, single, cohesive application experience would be to provide a lot of that analytics in house. 
Um, that way, there there is no need to travel to other pages. There is no need to. I mean, because every time you have to go to another page, get used to another application, like that increases the friction. That increases the time it takes to um, compare financial opportunities or or do whatever due diligence you need to. And so, um, I don't know. This was something that just kind of crossed my mind uh, just a few minutes ago, thinking like this would definitely help us further align with this single cohesive user experience that we're looking to build. Um, and it's something that not a lot of applications have done, even in public by default uh, blockchains. Yeah, we have, a, we have a very basic rule, which is don't make the user uh, leave the website ever. Like that's, I think that's like a pretty, a pretty strong rule of thumb. If, if, uh, like in a good example of this is right now, when a transaction happens, there's this view transaction little pop-up that comes up. And if you click on it, it makes you leave the website, right? To go to a block explorer. Guess what we're looking on, like like what we're going to be looking to add into the site in the not so distant future. Um, such an experience that you won't have to leave the site when you have a transaction that gets complete. And that's part of that ethos. Don't don't make the user leave the site, have everything be as cohesive as possible. And to your point on the analytics side, right now, if I'm like, oh, like, how's TVL on Shape Protocol doing? Like, how's that? How's the health of the app? It's, you know, DeFi Llama Shape Protocol, right? I'm, I'm leaving the Shade experience to go somewhere else, and that creates additional friction. So what can we do to ensure that users don't have to leave the site when it comes to these metrics? So totally agree. It's part of the ethos. It's it's kind of born out of just creating a best-in-class UX for users. Um, and yeah, we continue to ruthlessly kind of pursue that goal. I'm picturing that utilities tab becoming the beefiest section of our... Uh, <laughs> the beefiest section of our application. Um, yeah, as a... The ability to, to kind of just imagine the the future state of of what the application is going to look like and being able to really reliably um analyze opportunities all within the the application is going to be huge um that's as a, as an active and avid user myself um this is where this is one of those uh points where we can truly compete uh with public by default applications like and this kind of goes back to the thought of like you know you have to it, it's not enough to be two times as good like you have to be three four or five times as good and one of the best ways um to increase that increase your retention of people is like you said never don't force them to leave the app in order to find data that they need to make an informed financial decision um so however we can support that um is going to be a net positive. Let's see. Oh, we got Austin requesting. Welcome, sir. Are you here to hey. Are you here to shoot down my idea of a really beefy utilities tab? <laughs> no, I was I wasn't here to talk about uh, any of that, any of the analytics stuff, really. But I wanted to make an announcement on a feature that just went live about five minutes ago. Uh, we added. IBC hooks to our bridge, which allows for um, auto wrapping of tokens. So now when you bridge into shade protocol, they'll go straight into the private version and you won't have to worry about uh, sort of half bridging into a public version if something fails and then you have to go to our wrap page and you got to finish the process. So uh, just a, a great UX improvement for the app that just went live. So definitely go check that out. And it's really just the beginning of what we can do uh, with IBC hooks, uh, because wrapping into privacy is just one message that it's useful for. But, you know, you could potentially do other things like bridge and swap uh, or, you know, bridge and whatever you want to do in the app uh, could be tied to your bridging experience so that you could, you know, come from osmosis or whatever and, and and immediately do a transaction so yeah i'm really excited about that and just want to jump in here quick to announce that since it just went live and so we should just start ex in expecting anytime austin requests to come speak there's some alpha about to be dropped 
Yeah, new, new standard just dropped. <laughs> Austin's only allowed to be pure, unadulterated alfalfa. <laughs> yep, that's what I'm here. So you had mentioned uh, bridge and swap potential. Like, you know, my first thought goes to like being able to extend uh, like things like the uh, the fee grant, you know, like gas faucet, being able to kind of wrap all that up. Am I am I like thinking too far outside the box here? as like an idea? No, totally. Uh, that's definitely something that that would be a possibility. Give users the ability to make a bridge transaction and also swap for gas at the exact same time. So that's when you show up in our app, you already have your wallet seated and ready to go. That would be uh, totally feasible um, using IBC hooks. So that's, that's maybe the top use case that I can think of at the moment. And I'm sure we'll be putting putting some time into that as well as just, you know, looking for more opportunities to do more cross chain functionality. As someone who creates a lot of, uh, or seeds, a lot of new hot wallets with that gas faucet, uh, that'll be much appreciated at least from my end. I know there are other people that do it. Um, but it's it's kind of one of those use cases we get people asking about from time to time. It's like, hey, uh, I want to see a new wallet with gas that has no connection to any of my other stuff. Like, how can I do this? Well, we've got the perfect tool in store for you here. Um, so that, that's super cool, Austin. Are there any other, uh, like, what are, what are some of the first things that come to mind for you outside of maybe the fee grant, um, like, as use cases for IBC hooks? I don't know how much you've thought about this. Yeah, um, I think just being able to use tokens on other chains to make immediate transactions on ShadeSwap is just really powerful. It, it eliminates the the extra steps of of you know having to manage your tokens on a bridge and then uh, you know switch pages and then figure out how to do a swap. Uh, I think it's it's a little bit of a hurdle for for new users. You could potentially sort of not that we would eliminate the bridge page but let's say you're on our swap page and you can select now a token on osmosis or, or another chain and like do that as your swap and it all just kind of happens for you under the hood and maybe it's a little bit slower transaction because you have to you know do the the bridge process with with relaying but uh you'd be able to just do that directly on on the swap page and, and not have to jump around to, to multiple pages. So uh, lots of things like that are possible uh, with IBC hooks. What do you think happens to the state of like the interchain portfolio, that kind of problem within this paradigm? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, I think I would like there there's trade-offs no matter which way you go. If you try to oversimplify things and sort of combine all of your balances into one, then it becomes a little bit confusing if you are trying to do like a chain specific action. Uh, but then if you break it down and you show all tokens and all chains, you start to get a really, really uh, messy looking UI. So uh, it's kind of trying to find that balance between simplicity and also like giving people the information they need uh, is is always a challenge. I'd have to put quite a bit more thought into it um, to know to 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 know what I would what I would want to do. But uh, I do see a day in the not too distant distant future that we'll have more than just secret network tokens uh, on our portfolio page. I like that you mentioned trying to find that balance because that could be the slogan for my IBC experience. This makes me think about like kind of the, the thesis um, that we discussed with being able to support MetaMask natively, like kind of changing the way people think about their wallets um, instead of thinking about it as the place where you can go and view all of your token balances, um, be able to perform, let's say, some of these simple uh, transactions and 
changing the way you view it from that to like something more much closer to just a a way to sign transactions and like if you wanted to view the balances of your tokens you'd be you would do that on like an application interface um that that's kind of where my mind went uh went to that when you're talking about like if you wanted to see all of your celestia that you have uh, like you go to the portfolio page there's just like this overarching celestia row and then if you click it it expands and it shows you the tia that you've got on celestia tia you've got on secret network tia you've got on you know osmosis whatever um instead of like trying to sift through your wallet and look at like okay i've got some tia here on actual celestia chain and then i got some over on osmosis um anyways i digress yeah yeah and i think that it does require a, a pretty large complicated ui to create a good user experience around cross-chain tokens um you know i like kepler as a wallet because it's just it's used everywhere across cosmos but what i really dislike about kepler is just the fact that they're trying to do so much within their tiny little uh, plug-in ui and sorting through your tokens and searching and finding which one you care about is 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 a pain and it tends to get slower as you have more and more and more tokens all the queries they need to run so uh, personally i'm kind of bearish on wallet uis doing too many things um, and think that you know the wallet should be used more so for signing than than anything else but uh, yeah that's just just my own personal opinion we love personal opinions around here there's a, uh, you know, thinking thinking about um, you know the the introduction of the new API um, and the analytics that we're going to be able to provide. It seems like that's a it's a fitting uh, segue into what we were just talking about with the introduction of IBC hooks and all these other things that we could allow people to do. Um, curious, Austin, from your perspective, if if you feel like um, you know the new backend and 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 the new API that we're going to be rolling out, if that's going to be um, something that's going to be influential in our ability to roll out some of these um, larger scale, increase, like increasing the functionality and maybe abstracting away complexity. I'm just curious how you think some of this new infrastructure that we're going to be rolling out plays a role in that. <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, when I think about, some of the stuff with IBC hooks or cross-chain functionality, uh, our, our new API will be able to um, more easily ha have the data required um, to to interact with all the all the different chains. Uh, the, up up until now, uh, the API that we've been using has been very secret network focused. Um, so I'm looking forward to being able to extend that um, to to add new features and add more cross-chain uh, data and configurations that we need to, to do some complicated complicated things so uh, super super looking forward to that and just think it's it's gonna the users hopefully won't see too much of a difference um but i promise you there's a lot of a lot of huge changes happening uh, on the infrastructure side that are just going to unlock more and more features uh, over the next few months. So, yeah, really excited. So we got about 10 minutes left uh, before the end of the hour. Um, I want to kind of end this just uh, doing a little bit of forward thinking. Um, Carter, we've talked uh, fairly extensively about like uh, upcoming roadmap items and we focused on a lot of product. Um, but one of the things we we haven't touched on as much, I know I know recently we've touched on it a little bit, but like once you have all your core financial products available within the um, you know or cohesive UI, the 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 shift internally uh, begin like we'll we'll kind of start this uh, massive shift in focus towards user acquisition and um, part of successful user acquisition campaigns is being able to tell the story of shade protocol really well. Um, 
And so I can't help but think about like, obviously it would be great if we had a lot of these analytics, you know, available uh, off the rip. But like, as far as the timing in, um, you know, our roadmap where we start really shifting focus towards user acquisition, retention uh, of users, having the tools available to um, tell the story and be able to uh, quickly iterate and, and provide new analytics in the future to be able to highlight different nuances um, of the protocol is going to be really important. So I'm just curious uh, if you have any thoughts on like user acquisition and retention uh, related to improved analytics. I would say the, the more data you have for people, the more people are going to check in and actually use the app itself, which encourages more, more usage. So um, I just, I love the idea of having the one stop. It's the super app, right? The palm of my hand that I, w- I want to be able to fully manage everything. I want to be able to, you know, buy a pizza and seamlessly send Austin silk and have him lock it in a money market or swap for whatever he wants uh, a steak. To, to, to mint out those LSTs, to bridge somewhere else in the cosmos. Like we want, we want all of that in that seamless mobile experience. Um, and you build trust by giving people the data that they need in a, in a very simple format. And we want Shape Protocol to be an extremely high trust blue chip experience. And we have a long ways to go until we get there. Um, but I think once all the pieces are in place and we start to focus on user acquisition, they're, they're going to show up to something that's super sticky. Right. Like, why would you leave something that protects your individual sovereignty and your privacy um, while also servicing all of your your DeFi needs? It's, it's going to be hard to leave an app like that. Um, and, yeah, it's our job to make as sticky of an experience as possible. One hundred percent. So we've got five minutes left. If anyone wants to come up uh, on stage, chat with us for a few minutes. If you have any questions, if you have any requests from uh, analytics perspective. Uh, feel free to request. We'll bring you up here. Uh, if not, totally fine. Just love being able to talk with users, talk with the community, hear from you guys directly. Um, yeah. While we're uh, giving people a few minutes, Carter, do you have any uh, last minute thoughts? Anything you're bullish on this week? Give people some uh, something to look forward to or some energy. Cool, man. Um I'm very excited specifically about a grant to a shade developer who will be looking to add on an in-app transaction history uh, page. So it's going to be super useful, right? Because like, okay, liquidity provided, then I staked, then I claim rewards, and then I traded, and then I staked, and then I minted, da, 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 da. 30 days go by, and you're like, what did I just do the last 30 days? And it's like, okay, now I got to parse through like a block explorer and like figure out what the heck I did. And maybe, maybe I have a spreadsheet and I track 80% of my transactions, but not 100% of them. Imagine coming to the Shade app and on that left side bar as a transaction street button. And then there's a little little table of all the transactions that you've made. It decrypts locally on, on your device, um, easily displaying all of those transactions, all of the amounts, all the information that you need um, to understand what the heck you've done the last 30 days. And then also manage, imagine there's a little CSV button. You click that CSV button, you get a full download um, of all your relevant transactions. So I'm super pumped about that because that's going to be a huge part of, you know, Anyone who needs to submit taxes needs that complete story. And also for anyone that's just trying to figure out what the heck they've done, uh, having that in-app is huge and users won't have to leave um, the application to do that. And yeah, our ETA for getting that feature added is somewhere between six to 10 weeks. And we're hoping to kick that off um, sometime end of week with that, with that developer who's hopping on board to build that. And uh, I, yeah, I'm super pumped about that. Yeah, anyone who has uh, done any sort of customer support or user support in the secret network will will immediately realize the value of an in-app transaction history tool. Holy crap. Uh, yeah, this, this is going to be a huge quality of life improvement uh, for users and those trying to help out users. Um, 
I think one of the things that Shade Protocol has done really, really well is uh, providing user support, um, being able to respond to anyone who has questions. Um, obviously, privacy preserving DeFi is a little different than uh, public by default DeFi. And so people have questions, people have, you know, people uh, want to know how they can do particular things or why they might not be able to see particular things. And, um, yeah, from from a support perspective, I think this is going to be a huge uh, quality of life improvement. Hopefully, um, we'll reduce the amount of uh, of help that people require of us. People will be able to figure out and find a lot of the information that they they need themselves. So that'll be really cool. Well, I don't see any requests, so I think we can go ahead and close this out. Appreciate everyone who's joined us here today. It's a great conversation. A lot of uh, a lot of new things to look forward to. Austin joined us, dropped a little bit of alpha. So for uh, just as a reminder, anyone uh, who's going to be bridging in and out of the secret network, highly suggest you use the shade bridge. Um, implementation of IBC hooks. Effectively, I I don't know if you can say it reduces the likelihood that uh, your tokens uh, would end up being received as public, like the likelihood of that being 0%. Uh, I don't know. Can, can you say that, Austin? Or is there still like some small fraction of a percent uh, chance that um, you could still have public tokens received? I think with our bridge, it's should be zero percent chance i think you might there might be an exception with um injective potentially i think there was like one one token type that had some issues with it apparently um, but besides that if you're using our bridge um yeah it will auto wrap or fail meaning that the bridge either won't happen or it will and you'll have private tokens and if you use a different bridge possibly you could end up with public tokens but i think the two main bridges in the network are bridge uis us and the secret dashboard one are both doing this now so uh, over time i think the those public tokens should should go to zero there should be no reason to have them hell yeah that's awesome to hear well, thank you everyone for joining us today. It's a great conversation. Hope to see you again next week, same time, same place. And as we always like to say, there's always room in the shade. Have a great day, guys. Motherfuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve mentality stuck in the burbs. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works, and we'll see what other kinds of trash is under the dirt. We rape them under the earth, sit and wonder about the worth and plate. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served. Motherfuckers walking around here looking faceless, trying to make a living selling friendship bracelets, dead ends dragging out the max amount of payments. Down days, got them acting all bankless. Yo, fam, what? Check these token knocks. They probing this bear, flexing broken honest. I had to lay my soul down. I'm just roasting knotters, and then to end a long day, 11 bowls of chronic. Never known the politic, I was born to frolic. It's been my policy to pollinate all over the plot. We got a lot of apologists jumping in at the top. We like to measure their velocity before they hit rock bottom. Over impossible loss, it's all moss, and I'm liking the odds. Bond doing the morning, forming mycological bonds. Flick the cap, though the road is highly involved. Flip a coin, diary falls. Motherfuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy. Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come, first serve mentality. The teeth stuck in the burbs I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt We rape them under the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Trying to figure out the max amount of dinner lace Stacked in non-toxic Just to get a better place Smacking on the hostage Like the shit is play for keeps Clowns white knighting all these Maybelines They call it implausible When model after model keeps on Ripping off the coat and going full throttle beats Tearing apart your community all these low-hanging fruits bearing zero liquidity Got a planet in reach, coming standard to each I'm on the back ten stargazing after the siege Commanding all the management to grab a few seats And then we'll round up the beasts and send a messenger east Y'all better sign a release when
when I'm bumping these beats Hands up if I got motherfuckers drumming the streets Yo, we got a few dubs, we got a couple defeats And if you're coming for the king, you better have some of each Motherfuckers, fuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the verbs I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of trash is under the dirt We raping under the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and plate Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Terrible spaces. <laughs>